0: If you have a Bible, I invite you to open to 1 Peter. We're going to be reading uh, 1 Peter 1, 3-9, but we're just going to be focusing on verses 6-9. through Alright, so this is God's Word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and from the dead may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord, and it's for our good. Thank you, God. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, uh, we ask that you would be uh, with us now. We ask that you would shower us with your Spirit and open our hearts and our minds uh, to know you, to understand your Word. And Father, I pray that you'd be with me and uh, give me strength to speak. pray that you open up my vocal cords. And uh, Father, I thank you for the patience of these people here. So Father, uh, we love you so much. Uh, draw near to us as we draw near to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so this morning I'm going to talk about something that I struggle with, and I think we all struggle with, in fact all people struggle with, we're going to talk about suffering and trials and difficulties, and how do you, how do you live in the midst of all that? How do you keep going? Um, and maybe some of you guys have been through some hard suffering or, or losses, and perhaps there's been Christians who've come up to you and just say, oh, this is God's will for your life. Stick it out. It's good. And, and you know that if you're in the midst of those difficulties and those sufferings, that, that those words seem kind of hollow, uh, sort of empty. I mean, if you're in the midst of a, a difficulty or suffering, it hurts. It doesn't feel good. And so when we're hurting, when we're struggling, it's hard to see uh, the light. It's hard to see the good when you feel like you're surrounded by the bad. Um, and the folks that Peter is writing to here are not super-Christians. These are people just like you and me who struggle with sin. Uh, these are these are business owners, carpenters, financial planners, uh, moms and dads, five-year-olds, lawyers, gardeners, teachers. People are struggling to find work. These are people just like uh, you and I and now they're scattered, living in a, in a place that they're probably unfamiliar with and they're suffering for being Christians. Now, here in America, we don't really suffer physically too much for being a Christian like our brothers and sisters over in China. But we do suffer, I think, emotionally, psychologically, other ways. And, uh, you know, some of you guys have been cut off from family, or you've been ostracized, or you've been made fun of because you're a Christian. I can remember um, I became a Christian uh, right after high school. So before I moved up here to Western, I'd, you know, become a Christian. It was quite a dramatic conversion. And one of my old high school friends, who I used to run around with, get in trouble with, came up to me and he's like, Hey, Trev, you want to go smoke some stuff this Friday? And, uh, which had been a normal pastime for us in high school. And I was like, no, do you want to come to Bible study with me? (laughs) And he just looked at me like, what? (laughs) Who are you? And, uh... Said some words I can't repeat here, and uh, you know the sting of that rejection, though, by this old high school buddy, it it hurt. I mean, it stung, and I know that my friends who I ran with in high school were beginning to talk smack behind my back, and and so that's just something I had to deal with. Um, and you know this is something that Peter knew very well. I mean, can you imagine the fishermen? You know, they're these roughnecks. They're looking at Peter. They're on their boat, and they see Peter drop his nets. All of his livelihood, and they go, he starts following some guy who claims to be the Messiah. I mean, I bet he was the butt of all the jokes um, as the folks were out fishing. And so Peter knows this sense of rejection, too. But he also knew the pain of his own failure, and he knew the pain of betrayal. He was the disciple who denied any association with Jesus three times after Jesus was crucified. Peter is no super Christian. He is a poor sinner Who's been shown an abundance of grace. And I think this helps us to understand why Peter opens this letter by talking about our hope in Christ. Um, you know, when I think about suffering, I tend to exaggerate a bit. I have sort of a wild imagination. And so I picture myself waking up in the middle of the night and there's all these people surrounding my bed with crowbars. And I'm like, deny Christ or we are going to beat you up. And and I don't think that's the majority of our suffering. I mean, for some people that's, that happens. But um, some of our disappointments, our struggles are big, and some of them are little. Some of them are just day-to-day disappointments, right, that affect our, our mood, um, sometimes blind us to God's kindness to us. So I was studying uh, this passage this week. I wanted to know how our hope in Christ um, enables us to face hardships, How does our hope in Christ enable us to face sickness, loss, broken relationships, broken lives, failures, sin, depression, betrayal, parenting difficulties, loneliness, embarrassment, and insecurity? So I'm going to talk about two ways that our hope in Christ and suffering is related this morning. Here's the two things. One, our hope in Christ helps us to see beyond our trials. And two, our hope in Christ is strengthened through suffering. So let's talk about the first one here. Our hope in Christ helps us see beyond our trials. Look at me, uh, if you will, at verse 6. Peter writes, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. So what's this this that Peter's talking about? Well, Nate helped us with that last week. Back in verse 4, Peter mentions that Christians, those who hope in Christ, have an inheritance that's coming to us, that's imperishable, undefiled, and uh, unfading. And this is a living hope that's growing inside of us. It's a uh, hope of seeing Jesus with our eyes uh, on the earth, hitting 900-foot home runs, <laughs> riding on the back of giraffes. This is, the, the pro- this is God's promise to us, and he never lies. Um, so Peter's helping these Christians to see beyond their trials by whetting their appetite for the world to come. But Peter says that they are grieved by this trial for a little while. When I read this, I was like, Pete, come, a little while? Come on, it doesn't feel like a little while when you're in the midst of a hardship, does it? Um, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm in the midst of a difficulty or I don't know what to do, it just seems like forever. <laughs> when is this going to end? And for uh, an example, of this I broke my leg in college running into a tree while I was snowboarding up at Baker and Nate rescued me his third time taking me to the ER (laughs) uh, (laughs) I remember after that I was on crutches for I don't know two or three months and I can remember it seemed like an eternity I mean I'd be crutching Up the hill to school, just drenched with sweat. I'd show up at class and just like have all these paper towels, (laughs) wiping my face off, slipping on the red bricks in red square. And uh, I couldn't play sports for the longest time. I love to play sports. And watching people run around and throw the football in the disc just was agony. But looking back on it now, it seems like it was another lifetime. Like it's this distant memory that I don't really remember. Do you remember? Do you remember growing up as a kid and looking forward to Christmas? I don't know about you, but Christmas Eve was the worst day in the calendar year for me Um, because the anticipation killed me. I'd put one of those clocks next to my head with the red letters or red numbers and I'd wake up every 10 minutes thinking it had been like three hours that had passed. It'd be like 2.10, 2.20, 2.30, 2.40 and it was just agony. Um... And uh, the night of anticipation seemed like an eternity to me. And, you know, when we're in the midst of broke relationships, vocational struggle, marriage issues, financial difficulties, the daily energy and wisdom and patience it takes to raise kids, um, it seems like a long time. Like, when is this going to end? How much longer do I have to do this? But Peter says, for a little while. Now, what is this little while? How can we see beyond our trials when we're in the thick of it? Well, this is a, this is a question uh, that many folks have wrestled with throughout the centuries. You know, when Moses was a little baby, he was put in a basket and tossed into the river uh, because the Egyptians were going to kill him. And then he, after he was weaned, he was adopted by an Egyptian mother who wasn't his birth mother. And, um, and then he witnessed his people, you know, heavily burdened in slavery under the yoke of the Egyptians, under the tyranny of Pharaoh. He killed an Egyptian overseer um, for beating a Jewish slave, so he fled for his life. And then there, you know, in Midian, God called him to be the, the person who would go and rescue God's people from the most powerful people in the whole world. And he wrestled with this calling for a long time. And then when God finally judged the Egyptians, he had to, he had to go through watching uh, God punish these people he'd grown up with. I'm sure that wasn't an easy thing. So this was a man who had suffered. And Moses uh, prays in Psalm 90. uh, He says, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. So Moses is crying out for wisdom here. God! God! How do I live in the midst of all this? Teach me to number my days. I know it won't last forever, but it seems like it'll last forever. I've been devastated by troubles. Make me happy as many days as I have been sad. And Moses knew that our sufferings, our difficulties, seem long and heavy and dark, right? Um, But God thinks of time a little differently than we do. Again, Moses prays in Psalm 90, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. So, what Moses is saying, saying here is our long dark days will be swept away like a flood sweeps away everything in its path. Um, and Moses says that those days of difficulty and hardship and heartache are going to be like a dream, this distant memory that we won't uh, remember anymore. So in the scope of eternity, which our finite little brains uh, don't really understand, our dark days will be like this little blip, blip, that are swallowed up in eternity, and the light of Christ is going to chase all of our darkness away forever. Now lately, when we've been putting a bell down to sleep... Um, she'll remind us of all the things she didn't get to do throughout the day. So we'll put her down and she'll say, we didn't get to play Candyland today. We didn't get to play Marbles today. We didn't eat cookies today. Um, We didn't have a smoothie today. But usually at the top of her list is, uh, I didn't get to have a daddy-daughter date today. And, uh, you know, usually she'll be reminding me of this through her tears. She's crying. You know, so... And I take Belle on daddy-daughter dates, all right? Probably once a week, and so I don't neglect her. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell her, Belle, I love going on daddy-daughter dates with you. It's one of my favorite things to do in the whole world, and we're going to go on one again soon. But I'll tell her, Belle, do you know that when you go to meet Jesus, he is going to take you on a date? Just you and Him. You're going to spend the whole day together. You're going to laugh together, play together, eat cookies together, have the best hot chocolate known to man. And usually her face just totally brightens up. Her tears dry up. And she gets really excited. It's like her disappointment is swallowed up in the in the hope of what Jesus is going to do. And uh, so our hope in Christ helps us to see beyond our trials. But how is our hope in Christ and our sufferings related? Well, that's our second point here. Our hope in Christ is strengthened through suffering. So why do we have trials? We'll look at verse 7. Peter writes that we have trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter is saying here that genuine faith is tested faith genuine faith is tested faith. So now, we've already talked about how our uh, our sorrows will be wiped away forever when Jesus returns, but knowing our ultimate future uh, does not make our current circumstances less real or painful. Do they? I mean, you guys know that. So here, Peter uses a picture of gold being refined by fire. And when gold is put under intense heat, all the filth and all the dross uh, is burned away and so that the only thing that's left is pure gold. It's more precious. And this is an intense uh, in, intense process. And uh, But here, Peter says that our faith is more precious than gold. So God is so committed to our ultimate joy, our ultimate good, that he will strike away everything in us that doesn't look like Jesus. In the early 1500s, um, Michelangelo began chipping away at his, this huge hunk of stone, which would later become his famous statue of David, and someone asked him, uh, "You know, how are you going to shape this huge hunk of stone this, into a beautiful statue?" And uh, Michelangelo said, "Well, David is—he's in the statue. So all I have to do is is chip away and bust up everything that doesn't look like David." God will chisel away our self-confidence, our self-dependence. Our self reliance and the evil that remains in our hearts, in order that we would mirror more and more the image of Christ. Thomas Watson, a 17th century Puritan, wrote Afflictions are the medicine which God uses to carry off our spiritual diseases. They cure the swelling of pride, the fever of lust, the dropsy of covetousness. And Hebrews 12 actually says that God is consuming fire, He purifies us through suffering. And this process is intense. It's painful and it hurts. You know, becoming like Jesus, more like Jesus, is painful because just like him, we have to go down before we go up. And one author says, How can we be a part of Christ's body and not be like him? You know, his head was crowned with thorns, and do we think our head is going to be crowned with roses? But here's the thing we aren't some stupid metal. Uh, we are God's children and He does not forget our sufferings and our pain and our tears. David writes in Psalm 56, You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? God remembers our troubles. He collects our tears in a bottle and they are precious to Him. God is not some angry tyrant who sits back on His easy chair in heaven dishing out troubles, laughing and saying, All right, Let's see how Trev's going to handle this one. He is a father who deeply loves us and who knows what's best for us. In fact, our sufferings endear us to him. Um, We have just been through a string of sicknesses in our family, if you can't tell that. Um, We've been just a complete mess. And uh, so over the past two or three days, uh, I was unable to talk, which is probably best for everyone in our household. Um, Kristen was sick. Jack was sick. But Belle had it the worst. And uh, she was just hacking up a lung, having trouble breathing, and it was just hard to hear. So when Chris and I would go to bed, um, we would hear her struggling to breathe, just hacking, crying, saying, no, 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 medicine, and just (laughs) crying out. And we would just look at each other every time she said that and just be like, oh, Poor Belle, what a sweetie, what a cutie. It's like the more she coughed, the more we loved her. And uh, so our hearts would just kind of burn for her. And uh, we would softly and quietly enter her room, pick her up and hold her, and just let her know that we're there for her, we love her, and that uh, her well-being is more important than our sleep. But when you suffer, God's heart burns for you. And whether you know it or not, he softly and quietly enters into your darkness. Um, and picks you up and he holds you. And by the way, he never sleeps. In Christ, his gaze is always upon you. You are not alone in your struggles. He draws near to to the broken and he binds up the hurting. Our hope in Christ is strengthened through suffering. And the Lord knows our frame. He knows how weak and fragile and sinful we are. He knows that we could never be- bear the full weight of God's anger towards our falling short and missing the mark for what He has called us to. And we can't purify ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We can't make ourselves more like Jesus. And we can't do enough good stuff to cleanse our hearts. That's why God sent His dear Son, Jesus, to undergo the full unleashing of God's fury towards sin. Jesus was reduced to nothing on the cross. Taken a penalty for our self dependence, our self reliance, and our self confidence. But he rose from the dead to receive a crown more precious than gold. And I just need to tell you something you don't have to suffer to earn God's favor. You don't have to go out to the streets and start getting hit by cars or whatever you might be thinking. You don't have to suffer to earn God's favor. Jesus suffered for you, so you would gain God's favor. He underwent the full flame in the furnace so that we might be pure, precious, and perfect in the sight of God. And now when your father sees you, he sees you through the righteous robes of Jesus. And he, when he looks at you, he's overcome and overjoyed by the beauty that he sees you in. Jesus was led into death so that we could receive the crown of God's deep pleasure and delight in us. Now at the end of uh, Return of the King, which is, well, The Lord of the Rings is the second best movie in the world, Um, there's a moving scene where Aragorn is crowned king. And the reason why it's such a moving scene uh, is because we know that how much Aragorn has struggled and gone through up to this point. Um, You know, he's struggling over his identity. He's this lone ranger, wears black, hides out in dark taverns, and yet there's this whisper that he's supposed to be the next king, right? And so he struggles over his identity and over his calling all through the movie. He's fighting orcs, you know, <laughs> these ugly guys who spit black I don't know why we named that after a men's thing. I'm on flesh. Uh he watches his comrades die. In battle, and now at the end of all this struggle, Gandalf takes a crown and he places it on Aragorn's head, and he says, "I'm not going to do Gandalf voice, but now come the days of the king, may they be blessed." And Aragorn turns to his people, and he says, "Now come, uh, no, he says, this day does not belong to one man, but to all. Let us together rebuild this world, that we may share in the days of peace." And then he sings over his people. And then he walks down the steps, he greets a few folks, and then he comes to these four tiny hobbits who look like they're not supposed to be there. And, uh, you know, Aragorn knows what these hobbits have done. They have left the comforts of the Shire. The best ale in all the land. <laughs> the best pipeweed, which is tobacco, in all the land. Um, the, the joy of making and cultivating and gardening vegetables and dancing. And uh, they have left all that to make the arduous trek to Mount Doom, right? To throw away the ring of power. And, uh, you know, these, these guys don't look like they're supposed to be there. They're three foot two. They've got hairy feet, and everyone else is decked out and all this nice stuff. And so the the hobbits bow down to Aragorn. And Aragorn says, my friends, you bow to no one. And then Aragorn and the whole kingdom bow to these little hobbits. When you die and go to meet King Jesus, and he welcomes you into his garden city, you will bow to him, and he will make his way to you and say, my friend... My dear, precious friend, you bow to no one. And then Jesus will bow the knee back to you and sing over you. This is exactly what Peter is talking about when he says in verse 6 that our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus will give you praise and glory and honor. And you think you're excited to meet Jesus? He is like a billion times more excited to meet you. And uh, so let's finish with Peter's word here in in 1 Peter 8, uh, verse 8 to 9. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the (laughs) salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we thank You so much that You sent Jesus. Um, to be reduced to nothing on the cross so that we might be found precious and beautiful and perfect in your sight more precious than gold and father we thank you that for the faith that you have given us we know that it is a gift from your from your gracious hand and father we long for the day when we will meet jesus and see him with our eyes and so father help us as we look to him give us hope in the midst of our difficulties we ask all of this in jesus name amen